from the hosts that brought you to Coding Westworld and Westworld the Recapables comes the Ringer Prestige TV podcast on Westworld. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm Danny Heifetz. And I'm David Shoemaker. Welcome to Westworld Season 4 in the Prestige TV podcast feed, where we're going to break down every episode of Westworld Season 4. Every Monday, the day after the show comes out on the Prestige TV podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcasts, but get them on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. I hold no official title at TheRinger.com. I have no one joining me at the moment. Chris Ryan is on vacation. It's me. I'm not even going to say my name in an exciting way. It's me, Andy Greenwald. I am thankfully joined, as always, by our Cracker Jack producer, Kaya McMullen. Kaya, should you unmute and say hi so it doesn't seem like I'm just totally alone here? Hi, everyone. Andy's not just speaking to a empty room. I'm listening over Zoom. And thank you, Kaya. And we have a guest later, which I'm very excited about. I was joined on the podcast today by the great Colby Minifee, who is a wonderful actress who is on The Boys on Amazon Prime currently. Um, she plays the role of Ashley, the harried now CEO of Vought. I love Colby's performance on the show since the beginning. Um, really grateful for a chance to talk to her about her journey to being on The Boys, um, what it's like being on that set. Whether I'm right or Chris is right about how nice everyone seems on the show, obviously she has, she does have a bias there, but she supported my views. Uh, she was also on Fear of the Walking Dead, and she's currently performing in a play that sounds really awesome called Epiphany at Lincoln Center in New York. So we're going to get to my interview with Colby Minifee in a moment. Before then, we have some rundown. We got some news. We got some stuff for me to talk about. I can't tell if she's being entirely genuine, but Kaya has been very weirdly suspiciously supportive of me monologuing to you guys. I feel like there might be some inside bets about whether I can make it, but I accept the challenge. I do love to talk, so I'm going to do a quick rundown before we get into the Colby Minifee interview. The first thing that came across the transom this week is that the FX series, The Old Man, that Chris and I have been loving and that we talked about reverently in the pod earlier this week, The Old Man has been renewed. And I wonder if you guys had the same reaction that I did, which is, 
excuse me? Everything about this screamed prestige one-off, not the least of which being Jeff Bridges didn't strike me as the guy in his 70s who would agree to multiple seasons of a TV show, and that was before he almost died twice during the production. And that's not hyperbole because of the action scenes. Has been reported elsewhere, he had a terrible brush with COVID and then also um, was having cancer treatments during part of the production. So all this is to say, I was kind of surprised. And it isn't because I don't love and admire the show. I do. I think it's awesome. I imagine that the people charged with making the show have more road to run. And I am never against continued good things on my TV screen. I do have to say that it feels a little bit like a bait and switch because I don't think I'm alone in saying this felt like it was a one and done. And I've spoken to people at FX. They say this was always the plan. Obviously, it was reception dependent, but that there always was a larger plan, which is the kind of thing you want to hear, um, that they're not just suddenly undoing definitive character beats from the finale to make sure that it can run for a longer period of time. That would be terrible. I believe them. But at the same time, it has affected my watching of the show because there's a certain kind of dramatic stakes that exists in a project like this when you're like, this is the final show ra- showdown, the final go-round for the titular old man and the other old man, John Lithgow's character, who I guess isn't necessarily returning. Although now that I'm saying this, maybe it's just going to be an anthology show about old men, which, you know, a group that I am uh, hurtling my way towards as I as I speak. So that would be interesting. A lot of old actors looking to get on TV these days. But I don't think that's what it is. I think the assumption now is that Dan Chase, or whatever his real name is, will keep running. I give them the benefit of the doubt. They've earned our trust with three excellent episodes. But it, I, I'm just curious. I'm going to put that to you listeners, and Chris and I will continue to talk about this as we cover the back half of the season. But I wonder if I'm going to detach a little bit, if the level of just, I've been gripped by the show. And I think part of that being gripped came from a sense of um, stakes and finality that we were watching all we were going to get. So it'll be something worth watching um, as we keep watching. Second point I wanted to make in reference to our podcast from Monday, Uh, you guys heard us rave about the bear. I can't sing this show's praises highly enough. I, it's really gratifying in a really nice way, in a very pure, very un-2022 way to have something new and unexpected drop into our laps and just have what appears to be a universal approval rating. Anecdotally, people in my life, people in my professional life, personal life, I know some of you guys who post on the Facebook group, people just seem to love the show. And they love it in a way that isn't about getting answers or about knowing more of the source material or reading the books, God forbid. It's just a great show. It's just an exceptional achievement. And that's awesome. So I've Keep, keep telling me how much you love it. It makes me really happy, even though I have no stake in it whatsoever. But I did want to just make a point that when Chris and I were talking, uh, we seemed to have confused a couple people because we were a little bit not on the same page. We were referring to a scene. This is not a spoiler if you haven't seen it, so don't worry about skipping. But there is a moment in the finale where a character, I won't even say the name for fear of spoilers, is in an Al-Anon meeting, an AA meeting. And he's there not for his own addiction issues, but to speak as someone who has gone through addiction issues in his family. And I brought up the scene. I think Chris conflated briefly in the moment AA with NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Just want to make it clear that we know that these are different organizations um, that do great work, both with people suffering from addiction and um, their family members. And it was glib to sort of power past that and make it seem like they were the same organization. The second thing that I think was confusing was I made a, I questioned whether Carmi, the lead character played by Jeremy Allen White, may have some addiction issues of his own that were not, to my memory anyway, ever articulated on the show. 
I did not see episodes you guys didn't. I don't think I was misremembering anything. I'm sorry I wasn't clear. What I was saying was addiction issues are rife in professional kitchens. I mean, they're rife in every professional setting, but I think famously, um, you know, both championed and then, you know, reconsidered by people like Anthony Bourdain, like kitchens are hotbeds for um, for addiction issues, particularly substance abuse. And so I, I, what I was trying to articulate was I appreciated the bear's sense of its own season-long real estate, that there was so much to do it didn't have time for that plot in this season with those characters. And I was wondering if it might be something to revisit later down the line. Because for as much as we didn't see them suffering from addiction, I also don't, and again, this might be my memory of how I watched the show, I don't remember them having like shift drinks after work. I mean, obviously the, the restaurant, the beef Chicagoland doesn't serve alcohol, so it's not like they just belly up to the bar, but it just wasn't present in the show. So I was just wondering if it was something that might be considered in future seasons. Apologize for the cross confusion about all of that. Third thing I got to talk about, and you guys know, you're new, that if Chris ever cleared out, I would have to go ISO on the HBO series Irma Vep. Okay, so we haven't talked about this, and the reason we haven't talked about it is because there was simply too much TV, and I hadn't gotten to it yet. But yeah, guys, I'm here for this, obviously. For people who don't know, Irma Vep is an HBO series. I believe it's probably a, a, a French co-production. It is written and directed by one of the greatest living filmmakers, in my opinion, Olivier Assayas, who has made some of my favorite movies of the last 20 years, including his original Irma Vep in 1996, Summer Hours, Carlos, a couple of years ago, a great film called Nonfiction. He has written and directed a update, remake, reboot, expansion, reinvestigation uh, of that 1996 film, which follows a similar plot for people who may have watched the 1996 film in this. And I know I'm going to lose some people when I describe the plot. I may have already lost Chris. It is about a an international movie star played in the original version by Maggie Chung and played in this version by Alicia Vikander, who goes to Paris to star in a remake of a 1940s black and white serial called The Vampires and play, which is, by the way, extra confusing. Not actually vampires. This is not Twilight Saga. That's a criminal gang that call themselves the vampires. The head vampire is an intoxicating cat burglar named Irma Vep. The name Irma Vep is itself, you rearrange the letters, spells vampire. As in the 1996 movie, in the series, the lines between professional and personal and fiction and nonfiction blur heavily. If you are not into meta stuff, you're not going to be into this show. I can tell you that. Um, but if you enjoy Call My Agent, this is kind of like a little bit of a darker version of that. Basically, uh, Alicia Vikander's character, uh, Mira, is a star of like kind of schlocky Marvel movies, and she wants to do something more artistic. And she goes to work on this project, which seems totally insane, as it did in the 1996 version. It is completely uncommercial. In fact, it's unclear who's paying for this or why they're paying for it in a way that is kind of fascinating. She is turned on by being a cat burglar. She is put off by the fact that the budget keeps falling out. It is very inside baseball industry meta satire stuff. Um, but there are a lot of pleasures here that I'm really, really digging. And I've only seen three, four have aired. First and foremost, it's it is, it's extremely clever um, in its skewering of not just the way the industry works right now, but even of itself where the director character has to explain that, you know, he doesn't make TV shows. Just Yes, he's making an eight-episode series, but it's really just a very long film cut into eight pieces. But the thing that I think I'm finding most appealing, and I imagine some of our audience might as well, is that it's really in love with the art of making things. Um, 
inside baseball, navel-gazing stuff about industry people being cool or special can get really old or can get really entourage. This kind of gets at the, the chanciness of life on the fringes of trying to make something where insurance is trying to shut you down, the director's trying to strangle the actor, uh, the German theater star who's come in to do a cameo is not even metaphorically fully addicted to crack, and someone in the production has to get him some. What it speaks to is just, it's adult summer camp, and it's fun, and they talk about art and messiness in their lives and drugs, and they sleep with each other, and it's it's building into something kind of interesting. The only drag I would say is, and it might be a barrier to entry for some, is like, the first episode is a little bit stilted in the sort of this show is happening in three languages kind of way. So that might be initially off-putting. I think that evens out. I also have to say, I love Alicia Vikander. I love her as an actor um, and think she's awesome. It's very, very hard at times to watch the show and not think about how Olivier Assayas wrote this for his frequent muse, Kristen Stewart. She was the star of some of his great films of the last 10 years, like Personal Shopper and The Clouds of Sils Maria two movies I really, really recommend. I think he's talked in interviews that he wrote this for her and she was unable to do it. This is no slight at Vikander, who is awesome and great in her own right, but you can kind of tell sometimes. And so I'm curious what the show does to kind of either change my mind about it or even potentially address it because everything that's subtext becomes text in the show. It's a lot of fun. It's airing on Monday nights on HBO. And I'm really hoping that um, at the end of the season, I'll get a chance to talk to Monsieur Asayas himself, which would be a huge honor because I just think he's a genius. He makes my favorite kind of movie, movies that aren't necessarily box office gold, but movies about people that are too smart for their own good talking to each other about stuff. Um, Summer Hours and nonfiction being great examples of that. And he's just a master. And anytime a master comes to TV, it's worth paying attention to. Okay, so that's Irmavap. Check it out. We will revisit. Um, We'll try and pressure Chris into watching it, although I don't know how we'll do it. Last thing, a couple years ago, guys, we made, Chris and I collaborated and we made a Spotify playlist for the 4th of July weekend. And I wish I could say there was a lot of demand for us to do it again. Not sure if that's the case, but we wanted to do it again. And I kind of wish we had been doing it annually, to be honest. So we did. We made a Spotify playlist. I made some songs. He sent me some songs. I, I'm responsible, good or bad, for the mix. I mean, the, the order, because I'm a micromanager like that. And it's called um, Baranski BBQ 22. You can, I will, um, I, I will break my Twitter embargo to tweet it, put it on Instagram. Um, you can search my profile on Spotify at Andy Greenwald to check it out. A lot of, um, some older songs on there, some surprising songs that I've been listening to a lot, like, um, you know, by like Art Garfunkel and Patty Austin and Michael McDonald, but also a lot of new artists that we are currently super obsessed with like The Range and Daisy, MJ Lenderman, Chris's beloved Drug Church with one of the best songs, if not the best song of the year. Um, So really excited for you to check this out. But I also thought this was an opportunity. Um, So obviously you guys are all aware because you live in the world that we are all living through a uniquely awful moment in American history. And it just doesn't feel right to sit idly by and not at least address it or engage with it in some small way on this podcast. And I know uh, Chris and I were talking before I recorded solo that he's with me in lockstep on this. Um, So what I wanted to do is I'm going to put this thing on Spotify and like it or follow it or whatever the checkmark is. Um, For every like or follow this um, Baranski Barbecue playlist gets, I'll donate $5 to the National Network of Abortion Funds up to a $10,000 donation. It's something I want to do anyway. 
But I think it would be nice to sort of engage our listenership and people who feel the same way we do um, and get them to contribute in a small way to a good cause. And if you guys wanted to contribute your own amounts as well, that's awesome. We can put the link uh, to do so on social media. But yeah, uh, it goes without saying that women's rights are human rights. And I say this not just as you know, that awful cliche as a father of daughters, but as a man in the world who has benefited from the people in my life having access to reproductive freedom. And so what can we do? We can make a playlist, which seems small, but hopefully we can put a little financial power behind that and get money going to places that it should go and uh, use this podcast for something a little bit more than making fun of Marvel movies. So that's my soapbox. That's how I feel. Um, It's a holiday weekend. I hope everybody has a wonderful one. We will be back covering a... A lot of shows, a lot of stuff, a lot of interviews, the usual. But I do hope everyone takes a moment. <laughs> See that I tweet this playlist, certainly. And then after that, please unplug. Please be with your loved ones, family, and friends. Have an amazing and great time because having a good time does matter and can make you feel better before the fight begins again in whatever venue you're fighting in next week. So that's my spiel. That's my monologue. Um now it's time to get into an interview. Uh, I said at the beginning, the great Colby Minifee is here. I love her as Ashley on The Boys. She is such a fun, just presence on the TV screens. Maybe you watch her in Fear the Walking Dead or Jessica Jones. And it was really fun to talk to her. And you'll hear that it was sort of even, it was even fun booking her because it went through a non-traditional avenue. So I don't think there are spoilers really in this conversation, other than you'll know, you'll hear about what The Boys is about. But honestly, before we even get to that, you'll mostly hear about how she's really into taking ceramics classes, which I found fascinating. And hell, Chris isn't here, so I can I can program the podcast. And Kai supports me. I know Kai is passionate about ceramics as well. So without, I was going to say further ado, but Kai, this was a lot of ado, right? How did I ado? You adoed great. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Thank you for being here and having my back. Thanks for always being the best producer. And we wish you all a very happy 4th of July weekend. And please enjoy this conversation with Colby Minifee and Talk to you next week, Baranskis. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, 
view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Could not be more thrilled to be joined by one of my favorite performers on one of my favorite shows, Amazon Prime's The Boys, season three now streaming. You know her as Ashley Barrett on the show. Um, I never introduced people like this. I don't know why I became a game show host, but Colby Minifee is here. Welcome. <laughs> hey, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. This is exciting for a number of reasons. One, because season three has been awesome and episode seven is dropping, I believe, tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, yep. Very excited to talk to you about uh, you, your performance, the role, all of that. But also, this is important for the podcast because I think this is the first shadow booking that's ever happened where five-time guest, member of the Five Timers Club, Aya Cash, just made this happen. So grateful to her. She made it happen so easily. She just texted me. She's like, it's my buddy. He's great. Do it. And I said, yes. To the point where then I had to back channel the publicists (laughs) and and they were very (laughs) gracious about it. But they were like, they to were. be clear, does Colby really want to do this? And I was yeah. like, I can't, I don't know her. But also the the amount of exclamation points I use in every text message that I ever send, you know, I sound enthusiastic about, about everything. <laughs> so yes, you can always assume. Yes. You did, you did seem enthusiastic. And shout out to Aya for being the booker of this podcast while in a ceramics class somewhere in upstate New York. Yes. Like I think, I think her hands were covered in clay while covered she made this happen. Yes. That's what, that's my, I just came from, that's where I was for the past four hours is my ceramics class. We both, we both are into it. Yeah, I know. Isn't that strange? I know. (laughs) Wait, so this is a thing? Is it bigger than, is within the cast of the boys or just the two of you on your own mission? Every single person I think (laughs) is secretly doing ceramics at all times. Yes. Yes. No, it's like a, I did it in college a bit and then I started in January. I like restarted in January because this is amazing um, studio right by my house called Mouse Ceramic Studio. And I just was just did it for a couple months. And I was like, I want to come. I want to come. I want to do that. And then she found a really great studio upstate. And uh, we and now we have yet to do it together. But she okay. she has I think been doing it less than a month. And she is making unbelievable stuff. Where I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm crap compared to. I mean. She's like hand building entire like hand forearm bases and like she made this base on the wheel and then put a nose on it. And I'm like, this is so good. And I'm just doing basic bowls and shit, you know. But it, oh, but can what, we curse but on this podcast? Please do, in fact. Okay, great, it, great, great, great. It, it's I was better for the algorithm if you do. Oh, good. <laughs> but but for you, is this just like, well, my day job is one thing and this is something different, like, you know, stay creative or to, to like to, to pass the time. And she's suddenly like elevating it. Is that is that the distinction here, or or is it that you're both trying to make a certain type of product out of this and some sort of produce something beautiful, and she's just crushing it? Like, she's are you using it for different it. ends? We're I think 
I think we're both, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for her, but we've talked a bit about this, about how, like, you know, I've been doing this and this goes into some deeper shit, but I've been going, I've been doing acting professionally since I was 12. So that means I've been doing it for 18 years. And I can always look back on everything I've done being like, well, you weren't that good on that. And, but yeah, you could have done better. And now you've learned this other thing now. So that was shit. And I found that I need to do either physical, yeah, like physical things, like a long hike, you know, like a month long hike or like, you know, making shit. I need to make things to look at them and say, I made that in order to feel some sort of accomplishment that I can't take away from myself. Do you know what I mean? I'm like incredibly hard on myself. And I, I like uh, to kind of circumvent that instead of just, being nicer to myself. I just circumvent it by being like, okay, I, but I made that. So there it's there. You can't take it away. But I think that's very wise actually, because acting is ephemeral, right? Like you can't, oh, it, it, it's, it's a moment. And then ultimately it's a moment that you can't control or have back because it might not even yeah. be the moment you felt best at, you know, it could exactly. be the light, the lighting wasn't good in that one. And so they used yeah. the wrong one and you, exactly. there's a physicalness and a control, not in a yeah analyzing you sort of way, but in a very healthy sort of way that I think yeah. Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I do love to c- uh, control things for sure. And um, <laughs> that's definitely an added. <laughs> and the thing, the, do, the thing about clay too, and throwing specifically is that it, centering itself, it's like, if you move with the clay and this is uh, I love the, this. whoever, whichever ceramicists are listening to this are going to be like, Oh my God, this girl. <laughs> but if you move with the clay, the clay is going to be teaching you the clay is going to be doing whatever it wants. But if you brace against like four things and you are stable and the thing moves within Mm. you, then, then you can like actually, then you can center and then you can make things and you can. And so it's all about breathing and it's all about like this life force, like within this stable thing. It's cool. It's really cool. And then, and then it's all about failure because then everything breaks or dries too fast. And, you know, uh, I, I recently, for the first time, threw two pots and put them together into one. And the first time I did it, the pots dried too fast. And then the second time I did it, they dried too fast again. And I had to like wet them. And then I, I and, and then it cracked in the kiln. And you're like, oh my God, maybe I'll glaze it anyway. And we'll see what happens. And it has yet to come out. But you just got to like, you just got to, I mean, it's not like I have enough. I have a lot of uh, familiarity with failure from this industry, <laughs> but I guess I needed more, you know? <laughs> I, I love that you're, first of all, I love that we're talking about ceramics, but also I think that whatever skepticism our robust audience in the clay community may have going into it, it was fine <laughs> because you started, you were, you were using slang. I mean, you're using the Ooh. lingo. You said yeah, you were throwing, yeah, yeah. you just casually said you threw a pot and I was like, this lady knows what she's talking about. So well, I learned all the lingo from the Great Pottery Throwdown, which is my the greatest TV show of all time. <laughs> right. Yeah, but something also look something positive coming from reality TV. This is you keep trying to oh, find yeah. a negative here. I don't see it. Oh yeah, no, it's really good. No, 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 it's good. I'm into it. I'm into it. But in speaking of ephemeral stuff, I'm doing a play right now, and it's like the play goes away. You know, yeah. it goes away, and then you, then you like re you like reform the narrative of whatever the play was or however you were in the play, because you can never watch it. You can never know. And all you know is how you felt every night and whether or not you were dropped into that. And then some Mm -hmm. nights you're like, Oh, I sucked. And somebody was like, that was your greatest performance. You know, it's just so 
it's so such a crazy little weird job we have. What is the play? And it, it, it's up now. It's up now. Yeah, it's called Epiphany. It's at Lincoln Center. It's written by this guy, Brian Watkins. Really beautiful playwright and directed by this great woman, Tyne Raffaelli. And the cast is like just all seasoned, legendary theater actors, including Mary Louise Burke and from Sideways. She played the she played Paul Giamatti's mom in Sideways. She's just and she was in Ozark, latest season of Ozark. Jonathan Hadari, Omar Metwali, David Ryan Smith. It's like a Heather Burns. I mean, it's like an amazing group of people. If I don't mention any everyone, I'm gonna be really upset. Carmen Zillis. <gasps> Francois Batiste, CJ Wilson, and that's it. <laughs> this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna find out finally a question that it's been plaguing me. Like, are we bigger in the clay community or the Broadway community? Like who did we offend more so far in this podcast? Um, there's something very like as a as a former and never really recovered New Yorker, like summer at Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. like that's something really special about that. That's awesome. Oh, you got it. You got it. It's really every time I walk to work, I'm like, I'm I work here. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's one it's of the really places. special. Yeah. Yeah. And so you said, you referred to it earlier, and I wanted to ask you about this, that you, your career started very young. Um, yeah. You were on Broadway at like 12 or 13, right? In a Martin McDonough yeah. play that I think I saw. And I, oh! I, I and I'm sh- you were great, by the way. You did not see me. You did not see me. I was an understudy and I never went on. So I wasn't really on Broadway. Really. Did you like yeah, how genuine yeah. I was though? That I was that like. That was so, that was really good acting. You were great. You were so wasn't your, wasn't your, your part was, I believe was girl, right? Was it like it was. Girl. Well, yeah, there was, I was the understudy of girl and boy. Oh. <laughs> Which as a prepubescent teen, <laughs> I, and they put a wig on me. I looked exactly like a young Billy Crudup. It was perfect. Oh, that's who really the. Perfect. I mean, cause that's just kind of an incredible thing. Like you're, you're, you're 12 or 13 and you're on Broadway or Broadway adjacent backstage avail mm-hmm. with, with <laughs> Crudup Goldblum Stuhlbarg in a McDonough play. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy. So prior to that, to be an actor, mm-hmm. you're, you're from New York originally, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one thing to be like, I like acting when you're 10, 11, 12. And then another thing to be suddenly like professionalized. And was that a positive experience for you? It clearly didn't dissuade you. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I begged for it. My parents were like, what? I mean, I went to a convince my parents to, to let me audition for this, um, middle school, this performing arts middle school. And I got there and it was a school for kids who worked in the industry. And I got to the first day of sixth grade and there were like five kids in the class of a class of 30 who had each been in five Broadway shows before the age of 12 or 11, 11. And I was like, I am behind. I am just failing. And I went home crying. I was like, I was like, they tell, they say, I need an agent. I need to get an agent. I need to get an agent. My parents were like, um, Oh, uh, what is an agent? Okay. Like, I guess. Cause they're not uh, industry folks. They were not. No, my, my dad's an opera singer, but that world like works Amazing. a bit differently. Yeah. Um, and my mom's a, a chef. She worked for my magazine for 32 years. You know, she's, wow. they were like, uh, and they were just, weren't sure if it was smart. And they, they, they called some of the other parents and they took me to this agent's office and they were like, well, we're going to have to, you know, let her down slowly. It's not going to work out. And I was represented and they were like, what? (laughs) So luckily I had supportive parents, you know, like they could have just been like, you know, no, we don't have time. We don't have the resources. We don't have money. And, but they, they made it work. And it was, uh, they used to, I used to coming out of pillow, man, I used to call my dad, 
That was the play. The, the At a certain, play. Pill, yeah, the McDonald play, yeah, the Pillow Man, yeah, which is a crazy, I mean, talk about like the best thing to just watch as a kid. You just like sat there and I just watched that play all the time. Which and, was, and you learned a lot of swears. I learned a lot of swears that year for Halloween. I was a girl who committed suicide and people were a little worried about me because the whole show is about killing children. Like (laughs) I was like, yeah, this is cool. Um, But yeah, I used to like call my dad in a certain, when a certain scene happened and he'd like, you know, find a way to get there and like swing around and then pick me up and get back in time uh, for bed and schoolwork. You know what I mean? (laughs) So what was it, the way you're talking about it sounds great. Like sort of like it's a magical, like this is a secret window into a different world that you're, you have oh, access yeah. to. And, 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 and the people that were in the show were, you know, in, in the best theatrical tradition, they were kind and supportive and. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They were so, I mean, it, I, I mean, I was an understudy. So if I, and I was tw- 12, 13 at the time. So if I were, uh, them if I and I had this huge show to do to put on my shoulders I would like not even give I would be like okay there's somebody here who's young who I can say hi to but like you know it's that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like be their best friend but they were so kind and like not like they were just so encouraging I remember there was one day where I was like in yeah they were in tech and I like stepped in for a minute and Billy calls up and he's like how you doing up there, Colby? <laughs> just, you didn't have to do that. You know, they're just, they were all very, very kind. And I've met Billy Crudup since then. And I was like, I was in that play. And he was like, I remember your presence there. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I know. Yeah. It's a weird, weird thing to do when you're a kid, you know, but it was fun. So fun. So what's interesting to me is you you started with, you know, that, that's such a pedigreed, incredible experience, and you you studied acting, and then you were continued to be on stage, obviously, including, you know, you did O'Neill, you did Long Day's Journey, you did yeah. um, Six Degrees of Separation, one of my favorite plays Whoa. ever. You know my like, whole resume, dude. Well, <laughs> it's... so pressed. It's, it's, it's a... Va- I mean, I didn't have to dig. Like, I didn't go in the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but thank you. I, I take the credit. I don't know what that is. But, all right, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> older. But, so, no, that... No. <laughs> It's true. I thought it's it fair. was like a deep, I thought it was like a deep digital thing that I don't like it, that I, it's like the, the dark web. Yeah, you it's know? the dark web. Yeah, it's it's Silk Road. <laughs> you can get all kinds of designer drugs and also your playbills from 2006. Oh um, my God. <laughs> but all of this is prelude. And we're going to disappoint the clayheads out there by talking about yeah. uh, your more recent television career. But <laughs> I'm just kind of curious about how you, you know, you study, you train. I'm sure you did some classical training. You were doing these great American plays on stage in New York. And then on the screen, you shoot zombies and talk to people wearing capes. And <laughs> know, that's so weird. wild because you were on Fear the Walking Dead for a bunch of years and now on The Boys. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering how you navigate that. Like, is it for you? I just feel like it's a unique thing because of the 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 window of of experience that you've had professionally to have mm. one thing entirely and then this other thing and how the two talk to each other in how you approach them. Oh, good question. I mean, really my training has been on the job. Like I went to a great high school and I did like a Meisner program outside of that, but I didn't the closest thing I've gotten to classical training is doing long day's journey. It was like there was no it was me 
reading the play 400 times. And then like, you know, you know, it was just doing whatever I could and watching the rehearsals as much as possible in order to like try to fit into the same play as these people. And so I've approached every job like that kind of, you know, it's like, I don't think there's really any difference between <laughs> approaching Fear the Walking Dead and approaching Long Day's Journey tonight. And I, I, I think people are going to really kill me when they hear that. But like, I think that there's a, um, can't kill well, someone who's already dead. Sorry for the spoilers. Yeah. But. <laughs> true, true, true. But yeah, it, it, you take, you look at everything as if, you know, fear is written very differently than O'Neill is, of course. <laughs> I can't believe I'm making this comparison. I'm, I'm super into it. O'Neill is like, O'Neill is like not alive to defend himself. Um, but you, you have to look at each thing as if it's, Shakespeare, you know, as if it's like, right. okay, this is the word on the page. What are they trying to tell me with this? Why are they using this word instead of this word? And, and then I, with fear, you, the, luckily the writers are there. So you just email them and go, what is this? What, what's going on here? And they can help you. But with, with O'Neill, you just have to like fit yourself into whatever, you know, you have to hammer yourself over the head with that. But I, I, I kind of approach them all in the same way um which is why i probably only play crazy people on <laughs> film and tv because i'm such a theater actor <laughs> well no so but, i wondered about that know. like this is kind of a this might be too heady a question but like for a, or maybe but I, I i'm curious if it's generational to a degree because i remember growing up in the days of microfiche and wondering <laughs> and noticing that like the actors who seemed to do best in like star trek were huh. patrick stewart you know or malcolm yeah, mcdowell yeah. like Something yeah. about British stage actors, there was like, slap this makeup on me, put some ridges in my forehead, I don't care. I'll sell it. And there was yeah. always this thing where like some American actors, whether they were screen actors, seemed like removed from the material or had trouble just being yeah. alive in it. Now the work for every actor, at some point you're going to touch a cape, right? Or touch a zombie, yeah, yeah, like that's exactly. part of it. And so yeah. I, I was curious if generationally that just was... I mean, obviously it's not a big deal. These are great shows and great opportunities, but your facility in doing that or... Mm. I'm searching for a question in this observation and I'm not sure if there is mm. one, but like, I don't even know if that, I was even wondering if you had said like in high school, if there was a, like how to shoot zombies class, you know, like if, was, if, if we've reached that level of not. an yeah. actor prepares. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's like, le like language forward. And that's the tricky thing about film and TV is that it's a visual medium. And so oftentimes what's on the page, you really have to be searching for what's actually going on underneath the page. Mm. Like what, you know, what, what's happening visually in order to help tell this story. And maybe the words aren't the, the, you know, the words are just the scratching the surface and everything else is, mm -hmm. but I think that like, it's, I mean, it's all, it sounds so corny, but it's just all imagination based. The zombie thing, you know, the biggest trick for me there. And I really didn't imagine I would be on these shows. Like, I actually cannot believe that of all the shows that I've done, that they're the biggest ones are all the Marvel, like Jessica Jones, like all yep. comic book shows. And I think that that, you know, I feel very blessed in that way because the people who watch them are so wonderful and encouraging and supportive. Um, and it's given me like great training in my imagination, you know, the hardest thing for me about filming fear was shooting the gun. 
yeah. I was like, not that, that's the kind of thing that we didn't learn in high school. And like how to, how to kind of contend with the idea of like, your body doesn't know it's, it's your body doesn't know it's fake. You know, like I had like a whole three night shoot of a, of a shootout and I had to shoot, hold a gun up to somebody's head. I had to shoot a gun into somebody's face during another night shoot. And it, it like you're traumatized from that kind of, mm-hmm. like there's a gunfire going off your body is like, Whoa. And, uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that like, that like you just can't prepare for, you know, unless you're a military person like Adam driver or something, you know? <laughs> right. You have some familiarity in your body of those sorts of noises and sounds. Um, yeah. So specifically to the boys, um, yeah. speaking of things you might not be able to prepare for <laughs> watching the first season, you are on the show, you're, you're in supporting role. You seem to be written off the show midway through yeah. the season and seem to be yeah. done. Those now, fuckers. Yeah. Was that, <laughs> the plan? Like, was there a moment when you were like, this is a guest starring gig on one season of a spec, you know, show that who knows what it's going to be. And then you found out we love what you're doing. We want you back. Or was it more organic than that? They, the, I think that was kind of the trajectory, but yeah, I thought it was like one season. I don't actually know the answer to this question, but from my understanding, I always understood it as this just one season. And, and then they liked what I was doing. And then I got an email before the script where I got fired came out Mm -hmm. and Eric Kripke was like, listen, we love what you're doing, but we have to fire you story-wise, but just, you know, don't, don't distress. So I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. And, uh, I got fired. And so that, so I knew that there was something coming, but you can't ever like, you know, assume anything. I've done that too many times and gotten my heart broken too many times, you know, but, but the thing about Kripke and that whole producing team and all of the cast is that they were so welcoming to me. Like they were just, they included me as like, you know, in all the emails and all the like viewing part and all that stuff from day one, um, in a way that made me feel like I was really part of the team from day one, which is, you know, they didn't have to do that. So I have to ask about what you're just saying. My co-host in the podcast, Chris, makes fun of me for this, but <laughs> this is not usually how I watch things. But he accused me of having a parasocial relationship. Have you heard that term? Yeah. With, you know, oh, with, yes. I heard this on the podcast yesterday that I was listening to. Parasocial. Yes. What is what is it? Well, it's, like when, it's like when, when John Mulaney and his wife broke up and people felt personally broken up with. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. you don't know these people, but... So he accused me of having that with the cast of the boys because, and I genuinely feel this based on almost nothing other than like Aya's Instagram, which Mm -hmm. is to say that this is a giant, giant show with a lot Mm -hmm. of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts. The people on the show, by and large, genuinely seem to be getting along very well. And like, there's just this constant feed of like, you guys and Claudia, like drinking wine, making fun of Anthony Starr, which is, which was a masterpiece of the form or just like, you know, like like Aaron and Jack, like surrounded by dildos laughing and then yeah, also yeah, yeah. scenes from the set of the show. But like, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, and I don't know if that's the right way to enjoy things, if there is one way to enjoy things. But it does affect my enjoyment of the show because it just oh, has a good. spirit of yeah. everything is so over the top and it has genuine emotions and old fashioned storytelling structure. But it does seem to be a good time. And I, yeah. I, I struggle with saying that's the reason why I like the show, but it is. And so somewhere in this confession, again, is a question of like, how accurate am I? 
you're super accurate. I mean, I, I think we all have a genuine respect for each other and admiration of each other. Um, we all think everybody else is the most fucking talented person, you know? And so, uh, and I also think that, that part of that, in, part of the reason why you're in, why are you seeing all that back, background stuff and it makes you enjoy the show more is because that feeds into the show. Like if we weren't, if you can always sense it, you can always kind of tell, you know, um, when, when something's not, and something's gone awry, I think you have to like, and I really learned this on this, on this play that I'm doing that if you have to build a thing, starting with love, mm. starting with a place that it's, and this goes back to what I was saying about everything is Shakespeare kind of like, you have to expect that you have to go into everything thinking this is the best written thing. This is amazing. Such an important story. Everybody's amazing. And it ends up like feeding into feeding into what's on screen. Now that's not to say that, you know, things can't use some edits every once in a while. You know what I mean? But like, if you enter a space with like, with like, I want, to make this thing work and I'll mm -hmm. do everything I can to make this thing work as much as possible. It, it shows up, I think. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing, I think uh, all of us caring a lot. We all care a lot. And you guys have to just be in Toronto, a city where I don't think any of you live um, yeah. now, especially during COVID and then just Ooh. like go to the circus for a couple of months. Right. And, exactly. and that, that you have to yeah. have a certain mindset to do that. Is that, is that yeah. an accurate read? Absolutely. We have to like, especially during COVID, you know, we weren't allowed to cross the border. So it was eight months, seven, eight months of us wow. being up there without getting to leave. Or if we, if we did leave, we had to have a long enough break in the schedule in order to do that. And, and it meant that we were, we were really, you know, we like were really tight. We're really, and it, it, because we also have to exist in a bubble, there's not many other people that we can hang out with. And, uh, and it's, it's great. I love it. I love it. And it was great too, because we weren't going out to restaurants all the time. So we saved a bunch of money and, you know, it was fun. <laughs> so you, you mentioned before that you felt like the energy that you were bringing to your on-screen characters. So did you just know Ashley right away? Like, was that just clear to you who this person should be, how you should play her or, or has it been a process? Well, it's funny when I auditioned for it, I had just lost the biggest job of my life. The whole thing got shut down for various reasons. And, Oof. um, and I had this audition on the weekend after that happened and I was like, fucking superhero show. What the fuck? What the fuck this industry? I don't want to fucking do this. Like, fuck this. And I just printed the, the sides out and read them off the, like I acted with the sides. I like didn't even bother memorizing them, which is horrifying to me because sometimes it works, you know, for certain things, but it's not my level of, not my standard of, of work, you know? And I did the tape and didn't hear anything for five months. You know, you just completely forgot about it. And then yeah. five months later, my agent's like, do you remember this thing you taped for? They want to, they want to see the, you retape it, but just less broad, <laughs> just more serious. And I was like, okay. And I got a friend over to retape it. And I, I just did like a bunch of different options. I like sent in like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. And I learned the lines this time. I was like, here we go. We got it. Um, but I, I, I don't know why they cast me and I don't really know what, where I got 
the idea. I didn't even hadn't even met a publicist before I started playing her. I had no idea. And Kripke told me this story that he was like, Ashley's kind of based on my wife. And he's like, my wife um, was a was a publicist, and there was a there she there was a scene where she was at her birthday party, her own birthday party, and she got a call from somebody being like, I got a white limo instead of a black limo. And you need to come fix this right now. And she had to like leave the party, run, just sobbing, so stressed out, all this stuff. And I thought, okay, that's really all I need to know. It's like yeah. somebody who whose job is, you know, Kripke also described her as like, as like the moon. She always wants to shine off the sun, you know, just always trying to catch that light. Yeah. And, it, those two things are like really, really helpful. And of course, like, you know, the length of time that we shoot this show and my, like how hard I am on myself, I'll like shoot a scene and then I'll be like, Oh, that was wrong. I'm going to try to fix it in the next scene. And it's like always me overthinking everything. And like, yeah. so it's, it's a constant, I'm always finding her, you know, I'm always discovering and finding who this person is through the time that we have. I mean, it's been four years now. Do you get excited when you get handed this, the, the scripts for like the season premiere and you're like, now she's having angry sex in bathrooms and now <laughs> yes. her, now she seems to be removing her own hair at an alarming uh, rate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no. I, I mean, when I read that first script, I was shooting and I was supposed to be quiet and I screamed and they were like, Colby, please. <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe a, that I get to have sex with PJ Byrne, the best guy in the world in a bathroom, which we like, Thank God for PJ Byrne. It was my first time ever doing a sex scene. That wasn't a rape scene, just to be clear, because that's not a sex scene. Um, but he was the best. He called me. We went on Zoom. We rewrote the whole thing. We talked it through. We like, we were like, what if it's this? What if it's this? And like in the world of intimacy coordinators and like ha- having to be a- as we should be, as sensitive as we can be with sex scenes and as sensitive as we uh, as is necessary. I was so grateful to have somebody who was leading with joy, with leading with work first, not leading personally at all, just leading like, how can we make this as funny as it possibly can be? And we had a blast. We had a total, total blast. Yeah. Thank God for PJ Byrne. Anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I have to ask about another scene partner, though maybe not as intimate, that this season, especially you have all these scenes with Anthony and as, with yeah. Homelander. And yeah. it's... I mean, A, he's phenomenal, but B, like, one of the things that I do love about the show that it keeps returning to is just this totally bizarre dynamic where obviously everyone is increasingly, you know, terrified of him, but he is the most powerful being on the planet, and he still is enslaved to the algorithm and the the ratings and the Q stuff that you have. So the power dynamics must be fun to play every time you're on set. Oh yeah. I feel like, Oh, totally, totally. And I, I always think of Ashley, especially this season as Kellyanne Conway. And I just hope and hope for the future that she becomes more of like a Cassidy Hutchinson. (laughs) (laughs) And where she starts to like, where she starts to, that's her name, right? Cassidy Hutchinson. Yes. And the show sometimes has been giving us that there have been moments where it shows a little empathy or humanity and then it snaps back. yeah. 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 I mean, that's what, that's where I really like hope her because Ashley's like they do need things from each other but Ashley's intimacy with that power I think is like it fuels her so much 
you know, it's like working. It's like, it's like assisting a really terrible producer on Broadway. You know, you're like, but it's this guy. Like, I can't know, like, but I'm close to the thing. I'm this close to the thing. How can I leave? You know, it's, it's, you know, being an aide to the president, you know what I mean? It's this like desire to be as close to where the magic happens as possible. Even if you're ripping your own hair out and completely tortured by it and, and knowing that she has the numbers power, you know, she's like, I know how to swing this as much as possible. You know, I, you need me, which I think is hard for her to feel sometimes, but you know, (laughs) I, I I love. I mean, they're they're obviously um, ups and downs to an actor's life, but I have to think there's something that is just kind of incredible about like one day you're you're doing O'Neill, and another day you're shooting the the deep eats Timothy the octopus scene. <laughs> and can you just tell me about that day? Because that is one oh. of the most absurd things I've ever seen on television. That was, and this is a credit to Kripke and his crew, like deeply unsettling. Like it oh, really yeah. was very upsetting. And it, oh, yeah. it, 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 I hold that scene up as like, this is what this show does that makes it incredibly yeah. unique. Yeah. Well, especially after watching uh, My Octopus Teacher, you know, that's like. <laughs> right. Oh, and I just I just want to be right. clear. Uh, I don't think I answered this in your last question, but Anthony is such an incredible actor. Like he's just he's always present. He's always got incredible ideas. He's always committed to making the thing as, as good as it possibly can be. And uh, yeah, I don't think I made that clear in my last answer, but in, yeah. Um, in, in terms of shooting that day, it was my favorite day of all time because I'm vegan and I was like, okay, room full of shellfish. Like I gotta be eating this stuff. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And the props team made the most incredible Trump shellfish. I mean, it's all like dumplings and mushrooms and real shells and like, I mean, I, and like potato painted to look like a lobster. I mean, I ate the entire day in between. T- they had vegan butter like in between takes. I was just like, yum, yum, mm, mm, like mm, more. Mm. Everyone else is using spit buckets. I was like, I'm into it. I'm into this. This is great. But the, but what they did too is, I mean, also Chase is one of the most amazing actors ever. I just... I don't, I don't know. You have to be so smart to play that dumb, you know? And he's just, the things he comes up with, like there are times when I'll catch him, like right before they call action, he's, he's like trying to add something into the scene at the very top of a scene. And he's like picking his teeth in the, in a reflected table or something. I mean, he's just, he's like touching his muscles while walking down the hall, you know, this kind of stuff that he's so he's layered so much stuff into this character. And him having to eat his <laughs> the love of his life <laughs> tentacles and all was like just yeah it was horrifying and what they did they like did this amazing stuff with his face where they put strings on his face and for the tentacles to like move his muscles around and oh it was just I loved that day I loved it so much yeah it was so fun do you feel because the the other thing that I think is really successful about the show is that it in some ways it's really old fashioned in that there's like nine stories happening over the course of a season and we jump from one to the other and it's all building you know and every character gets their moments and their scenes, but mm-hmm. on your side of the ball does it do you feel disparate like do you is it do you feel part of the larger whole when you're working you know seventy percent of the time in the tower or with these three actors do you have a sense of the larger enterprise in a way that that resonates I, I have to 
make charts to feel a sense of the larger just because it's we are in basically two different shows you know it's like there's a it's they're two very very especially my character i think it depends on you know if you're jack or aaron like you're bouncing around a bit more but i i have to keep track like i have to like you know make clear charts a of every soup and what, what they're up to and what they're doing because ashley's supposed to know all that shit and and then of like storyline and why this my storyline needs to happen over here at this time in relation to their thing it's like it's and we don't have table reads you know which is which makes things Mm. really um tricky because i'm you know i like learn from hearing the whole thing out loud so i have to like i mean i hire somebody to like help me like map out what's what's going on story-wise because i'm I'm a little slow on that kind of thing anyway. And I also like love rehearsal and I, you know, come from a place of getting a month of rehearsal. And if I don't have that, I got to like figure out another way to like understand everything that could possibly be going on in the story. But yeah. Yeah. But it does in terms of like our vibe as a crew, like we're all one and then we're like, Oh, we shoot separately, you know, but then we all hang out together as one. Fully, and everybody, you know? then, then, then the wine comes out. And, and, oh yeah, and, yeah. That that's see. This is what I need. I don't know why. I don't know why it's your show. It's just it's good vibes. Um, so it's good vibes. It is so servicey part of the conversation. There's two episodes uh-huh. left in this season. Um, yes. we did this on the DL. Amazon doesn't even, barely knows we're talking, other than the oh Amazon gosh. branded earbuds that you have in. Fired. <laughs> what is the most? What is it? What is? What I was about to say. What is the most thing you can say? Which is grammatically inaccurate, but what I mean. <laughs> about the rest of this season that won't get you fired. You, even if it's just, a, it doesn't even have to be a specific word, just like a vibe or a, a you know what I mean? Like, won't how would you describe the last fired. two episodes or the end of the season broadly? Well, you know what? I, you know what? This is really embarrassing. This is really embarrassing. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I like <laughs> I love it. I am a... Uh, we filmed this a year ago. I have, I like put it all away and I haven't even watched this season yet. But you lived it. I don't even remember. I know. I do. I know what happens to my character, which I actually can't like the thing that is coming to my head are the things that are just major spoilers because they're there too. I'm so, do do you think will we see you wearing, an American flag pantsuit again or whatever that, you know what I mean? Like, like oh, that was that... an amazing, that was an amazing suit. No, but I, my outfits do continue to get Great. hot and amazing. It's a good, it, the, the, I mean, it, it, the fun thing that I can say is that the amazing costume designer this year, Michael ground really helped me turn Ashley into CEO wonder, like wonder woman as, as, with the you know with that shift like he was like he was like how about we do some skirts now and i was like ooh, so i can say skirts okay i, can I say love skirts. it <laughs> also you know i um, really feel terrible i know i lived it i just my brain is is very much wrapped up in this <laughs> right now it's so lame of me to but say. it's okay but also like like literal <laughs> bodies under the bridge aside like you could watch the show as just an incredible reflection of of gen z's dominance and like, you know, uh, impatience in terms of climbing the corporate ladder because Ashley went from oh, yeah. an assistant to the CEO in a really remarkable amount of time. Really? And so, oh, yeah. so there's a hero narrative there that I think is being undersold that maybe we hey, should just, right? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I do think that this, this whole season is really kind of about like how far are you willing to go? Right. 
And Ashley has to ask herself those same questions as much as Butcher does, you know, like how, what are you willing to do to, you know, serve yourself on some level? Well, all of us Um, are going to find out you included over the next mm -hmm. two weeks. (laughs) And we remind, (laughs) remind me the name of the play. Let's say it again. So people coming to New York to come see you this summer. Come see it. It's uh, we only have a month left, so come come quickly. Um, it's called Epiphany, and it's at Lincoln Center. Um, but before we go, I have to say, yeah. I loved listening to how much you liked the Bear because oh, it's so good. because Jeremy Allen White, who yes. is the lead of the Bear, went to my high school. We were in high school together. No way. Yeah, yeah. and it brings me great joy to see him like doing. He is. We did a scene together when I was in. When we were in high school, we did a scene called uh, from Snake Bit, this play Snake Bit for the AIDS assembly. And I felt like I had never been a better actor when I did that scene with him because he's just, he makes everybody around him good, amazing, because he's so amazing himself. And he's just, he's a wonderful guy. And it makes me so happy to see him doing so well. Is, is there video footage of this scene together? Like, is this. I wish there might be photos, but years okay. ago, I. They would be on Facebook and, I, and, uh, I, love I uh, I deleted like my entire, cause my entire puberty was on Facebook and I decided to delete it all. So I might've lost I them think, in that. I think that's wise. But I, I also love what you said, because I think that was what was unique about that conversation about the show is we made it through just raving about how amazing it is. And then we're like, wait, we didn't yeah. mention the star and how yeah, yeah, yeah. He's incredible amazing. is that achievement that he is that, I mean, just powerful and modest at the same time is such a rare uh, combination, yeah. such a rare quality yeah. of an actor. Yeah. He's, he's, and awesome. he's naturally like that. He's really naturally like that. I mean, I haven't seen him in years, but I assume, I assume he's the same. <laughs> high school <laughs> reunions. He was in high school. <laughs> yeah. 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 What? And, and another snid, uh, snidbit, didbit, tidbit, that's the word tidbit is Justin Davis. This kid, Justin Davis. Yeah who plays young Stan Edgar in the oh, boys. Yeah. We also went to high school together. Isn't that crazy? What a remarkable class. Well, it's a good, it's a good uh, school. It's a, it's a performing arts school and everybody, everybody rocks. And everybody there. else who we didn't mention just kind of needs to step it up, right? That's the exactly. takeaway. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's the takeaway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just come on. Clock's ticking. We're watching. Good, 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 good. <laughs> um, well, Colby, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. I wish you nothing thank, but thank the best you. on Broadway and in the studio, as we call it, when we're throwing uh-huh. pots. Uh-huh. Um, yes, you know, yes, the studio, yes, the stewed. The stewed. And <laughs> I, I, I hope we'll have an opportunity to talk again, um, maybe season season four. The shows just keep rolling. Oh my gosh! So. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Seriously, you're. So, it, it's so nice to like, you know, hear somebody who's such a fan. Because I, I haven't talked about it yet this year, so I, I clearly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah, because Amazon publicity was like, "You're talking to who?" She, she would do it. What? <laughs> They're like, I "Now, know. quick follow up. Do you have her number?" And I was like, "Yeah, we're good. <laughs> it worked out." It's true. Yeah. <laughs>